Christmas, but I want to stand here. I want us to stand here as a community, as friends, as brothers and sisters of Christ and say no matter how we are feeling on earth, we remember that God is King. We remember what Jesus has done on the cross and we can stand here with our heads held high, our shoulders back and our chests out saying we are worthy, we are chosen, we are called, we are saved, we are holy not because of anything we've done, but because of God who you are and because of Jesus what you have done. So we bring our stuff to you this morning, God. We bring however we're feeling. And maybe we're not feeling bad. Maybe we're feeling full of joy and ready to go. Let's, let's bring that and keep it. But if we're not, we say, God, we leave it at the foot of the cross and we join in with our brothers and sisters who are feeling joyous and happy and on fire. And we say, yes, Lord, we are here to worship you. You are worthy of our praise. Your kingdom is above what we see on this earth. And that's not to diminish our feelings. But we choose to look to a higher plane. We choose to keep our eyes fixed on you. And God, as we are challenged this morning by the message that David's going to bring later, we just ask that your Holy Spirit is here amongst us. We thank you that you always choose to come. You never let us down. Always keep your promise. I pray for, a, I pray for joy this morning and I pray for conviction this morning so that we may leave here changed people because of you it's a beautiful picture of surrendering and saying yes God I don't know your ways they're mysterious to me but I know they're good and so I let you come blow our stuff away so that I can receive your fire and there's an active involvement in us God chooses to use us in the bringing of his kingdom so we have to align ourselves and get ready for his, for his wind to come and for his fire to fall. How are we getting ourselves ready, church? How are we aligning the sails of our ship to be in the right direction that when his wind blows, we're ready to go? How are we getting rid of our stuff? How are we letting God's Holy Spirit come in and get rid of our stuff for us? Lord, I pray that, that your wind does blow and your fire does fall on us, individually, corporately. Lord, make us a people that are ready to be used by you, a people that are constantly filled with your Holy Spirit, with the breath of God constantly inside of us, constantly throwing our stuff away, constantly being ready for your fire to fall, constantly being ready to be used by you in the plans and purposes that you have for us, which are good, which are always good. And we pray that over ourselves as individuals, in our spheres of influence, in our work, in our families, in our friendships. And we also pray for it corporately over us as a church, over our congregations in Washington and Buncton, 
as well as here. Lord, we want to be a people that are known for how we're filled with your breath. We want to be a light on a hill for our parish. We want to be a church that is used by you to bring about your kingdom. So come and have your way, Lord. On behalf of everyone here, we say we submit to you. We lay aside our stuff. We lay aside ourselves and say yes to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Sound right? Now the important stuff. The reading today is taken from Luke 2, verse 36 to 40. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, day and night. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they'd finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favour of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm David uh, Ingle. I'm part of the church family here at Chanctonbury, so I do know lots of you. Um, my uh, wonderful wife, Liz, and our not-quite-two-year-old, who's also wonderful, Beatrice and I, are usually here at the, the 9 a.m. service, so you've, you've missed the rest of the family, but uh, uh, you've got me. Uh, and um, I'm a clergyman, but my day job is running a charity called Burning Heart, uh, which makes uh, sort of Christian teaching films, looking at books and themes of the Bible. Um, park that, and let's pray as I start. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, as we dig into your word, would you send the fire of your anointing on, on me and then through me as I preach on every person here today? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. What are you expecting from God? When you became a Christian, what did you think you were signing up for? And when we sing and pray those songs and prayers, asking for God to pour out his Holy Spirit on us uh, and in us, what does that look like? And I ask those questions because my hope and my prayer for what we're going to do and what I'm going to preach on today is that by the time you leave at the end of the service, those questions, the answers that you give, will have been challenged and even changed. Which is quite a big and maybe slightly unexpected hope uh, for this sermon, given that we probably ought to admit that this Bible passage is not at the top of the Bible bestseller charts. I, I'm going to guess that most of you probably know the story 
Uh, everyone seems to know the story because it usually gets bundled in with last week's reading, which is when Jesus is brought to the temple by Joseph and Mary, and then as he's there, he's recognized for who he is and prophesied over by Simeon and Anna. The thing is, though, Simeon, uh, his song got written down, and the prophecy that he said was also recorded, and there's a lot more uh, sort of verses about him. So we tend to, to look at him, focus on him, and then say, oh yeah, and Anna too. And miss the amazing glory, actually, of the passage that we're looking at today. But even as I say that, I probably ought to come clean and admit that when I got that email a few weeks ago saying, would you preach at Ashington on the 15th of January? And I looked into my Bible, what's my passage? Oh, was my initial reaction. Thanks, thanks, James. You got Simeon? I get Anna. What's going on there? And then I stopped and I checked myself and I remembered actually, well, all of it is glorious and from God. But, but why had James asked me to preach on this particular passage. And there is a reason which we will come to. But more importantly than that, why is it here? Why did God, through Luke, decide to record this story? And the answer, I think, lies in who Anna was and what God had called, him, called her to do. Anna is one of the stars, the stars of Scripture. She's the most amazing and extraordinary woman. The, the, the sort of uh, commentators will tell you that, that in some ways the way she's described is almost stereotypical of the godly woman. And this is a woman who has gone after God through the decades. She's, she's worshipped, she's prayed, she's been longing to see what God is going to do. And more than that, she's someone through whom God is at work. She's introduced to us as a prophet. She is a prophet. Now, that's a crazy thing to be saying over someone in this moment in the history of Israel. Because for 400 years, there have been no prophets. For 400 years, the voice of God has been silent in Israel. For 400 years, they've been longing for and praying and hoping and expecting that the sort of that the Holy Spirit would be unstoppered once more, poured out again, that God would speak to them, and even more, that God would come amongst them. They were waiting for the Messiah, God's promised king, the one who would bring all God's purposes about. But after 400 years of silence, suddenly there's a little psh, 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 all over the place. We're not yet at the, the sort of fullness of the gospel. Jesus, in, in, the, in his ministry, kind of launched upon Israel. Uh, Pentecost, when the Spirit poured out on all of us. But there are four. Four great individuals. Sort of the, the sort of trailblazers, the leading edge of, of what God is doing, who prophesy around the time of the birth of Jesus. And it's funny because the others are all really famous, but we seem to forget Anna, but we shouldn't. They're Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who prophesied the Benedictus. Mary, the mother of God. I mean, what a title. Uh, and she's prophetic in lots of ways, but we have her song, Mary's song, the Magnificat. Simeon, that we looked at last week. And Anna. What a woman. What an amazing person. She is one of the four who God chooses after centuries of silence to speak once more you better believe that this woman is important. But more than that, what, what she's given, what she sees, is God himself. 
She, she, she sees this little baby. So to all the world, it must have looked like just a, another day in the temple. Parents were always bringing their kids in for, for presentation and dedication. Every day, it was a big place. Nobody else seems to have noticed other than Simeon and Anna and then all the people that they spoke to. But she takes him in her arms and she knows this is him. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is God. And wow, that means it's happening. And so she doesn't just know him, but she knows him on that deep and profound level. And her joy, I mean, it says um, then that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. It's like she's, you know, oh, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I tell you? She's really, she's really excited, obviously, because what we've been hoping for for 400 years and longer has suddenly happened. So she's the most extraordinary woman, and she has witnessed, in fact, many of the commentators say that this very moment is the fulfillment of some great Old Testament prophecies. Malachi 3, verse 1, apparently. The, the Lord will come suddenly into his temple. Boom, there it is. Nobody else spotted it, but she did. So, I mean, you can, you can imagine the joy of this situation, and, and as you look at this amazing woman, I mean, wouldn't you just love to have been Anna? Except, actually, probably not. And I think that's where the, the challenge and the bite of this passage comes. Because we want to say, oh, yeah, lucky Anna. I wish I was like her. But actually, the whole of the rest of Anna's story is difficult and challenging and hard. And, and, and we, we get just a few verses telling her whole life story. But even as we read them, at brief as they are, we realize the, the tears and the pain and the suffering that must have been underneath them. And we realize that Anna is precisely the opposite of what the world longs for in life. This is a woman that probably got married at about the same time in age as most young Jewish girls at the time, 13, 14 years of age. And she lives with her husband for seven years. And at the tender age of 20, 21, her life just falls apart as her husband dies. Can you imagine the pain and the trauma and the loss of the, the love of your life dying when you're 21? But, but it, it's worse than that for her. Because in, in an ancient society like Israel, um, the, the position of a woman was so vulnerable. Particularly if she didn't have kids, and although it doesn't say it explicitly, the, the implication is that she probably didn't. She's probably a woman without uh, a sort of children who can then support her and help her. And, and women were vulnerable in the ancient world. Vulnerable to exploitation, vulnerable to violence, vulnerable to discrimination, and also unable to access the sort of sources of wealth and employment that would have been open to, to men. So not only is she vulnerable to violence and exploitation, but she's someone who is also always going to be materially right on the edge of coping, who, who doesn't have the, the security and comfort of knowing that in terms of cash and material things, she's going to be okay. And she's sort of cast upon the community and the society to look after her. And like any society, that's not a great place to be. 
And she is there, not for a few months, not for a few years, not even for a few decades, but 65 years she lives as a widow in Israel. And in the Old Testament, you'll know that that whenever we're talking about the, the poor and the disadvantaged and the powerless in society, there's always three groups who seem to be picked up on. The foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And that's why. And so in Anna, in this beautiful, lovely, godly old lady, we also see someone who pretty much sums up what everybody else is longing for their life not to look like. And yet she is the one who God chooses. She is the one who is the first prophet, or one of the first four prophets in centuries. She is the one who gets to see the coming of the Lord to his temple. She is the one who is great in the eyes of the Lord, and not all of the rest of them. And in that, there's something hugely exciting, but also deeply challenging us to take on board and I want to ask three questions that come out of that there's the when the who and the what when who and what are great in the sight of God when who and what are what God promises us I want to start with the when and we've already sort of been there a little bit this is a woman whose life would have been, felt like it had shattered when she was really still very young. And whose great moment, whose doesn't come not just for years, but for decades and for 65 years. Some commentators actually think, uh, apparently the Greek is ambiguous, that, that she's been a widow for 84 years and she's over 100 by this point, which... I mean, I don't know what it feels like to wait for something, to long for something, to struggle in that valley of what the heck is happening, God, for 65 or 84 years. I mean, I'm not even that old yet. And yet, I do know that impatience is a problem that I struggle with, and that impatience is a problem, frankly, most of us in our generation struggle with, because we are the instant generation I mean, when I go online and I buy something and it says it's going to take three days to get here, I think, come on, three days? I want it tomorrow. And that's, that's what our society is like. We, we don't wait for anything. And we expect that to be the same with God. We think, God loves me. God's all powerful. God wants the best for me. So what I want will just happen like that. And somehow, sometimes we persuade ourselves that that's what we've been promised. And we miss that, you know, Jesus took a few hundred years to come and the story of Anna and and lots of other stories where actually it seems that more often than not, God holds his people, particularly actually the people he's going to do crazy and wonderful things through, in those difficult places for years and even decades. And, And as someone who's been in pastoral ministry for 10, 15 years now, I can say to you that that's something which can really rock us in our faith. I've spoken to so many people, and yes, I've been that person, who who struggles because I haven't got what I wanted from God now. And then I thought I'd persevere a bit, and six months later, I'm like, still not happened? I mean, I suppose for me, the, the, the sort of 
the, the big one for me in this is, is the story of, of marriage in my life. So I'm, I'm the, the guy who, I wanted to meet the love of my life in Freshers' Week. And then, you know, thought it would be nice to get married, you know, the weekend after graduation. <laughs> I actually met the love of my life when I was 36. And, I mean, she's pretty awesome and well worth waiting for. But there's 15 years in the middle, more, uh, when I didn't know that would ever happen, when I longed for it to happen, when I saw it happening to other people. Maybe it was easy to begin with. Not many people do meet the love of their life in Freshers' Week, so that wasn't too bad. Um, but then there's this little trickle as all my friends start coupling up and getting married, and then that turns into a flood, and then it stops because everyone's already gone now. I mean, uh, there was a group of eight of us. We, we left university together. We committed to, to pray for one another, to, to be accountable, to meet up regularly. And we still do. And the last of the others to get married got married seven years before me. And, and I found that hard. And there were times when God and I had some real words about it. And, and I, was, I was not being Anna. And yet, I wonder what Anna would have said. I mean, she'd probably have had that sort of beautiful, godly, sort of gentle smile on her face and sort of gone, hmm, 15 years. It's not that long, is it? Um, or something to, to sort of along those lines. But friends, God doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. In fact, this is the gospel where you're going to get, take up your cross and follow me. God says, die. God says, yes, all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Yes, you'll have eternal life. Yes, there'll be wonderful and glorious things, but they may not happen tomorrow. In fact, they probably won't. And so are we willing to go the way of God? Are we willing to wait for decades before we receive what we want? Well, I hope that the answer is yes. But I suspect for most of us, the answer is maybe one day. <laughs> And maybe today can be that day when God gets us more in line with his time. So that's the who. The, the, sorry, that's the, the when. The who. I mean, Anna is not only someone who hasn't received all the things that people looked for uh, in life in those days or in these days, but she is also at the wrong end of society. I mean, when uh, Malachi made the, prophet, the prophecy that the Lord will come suddenly to his temple and people thought of that happening... I suspect what they had in their mind was, um, you know, the high priest with all the leaders and sort of impressive and rich and successful people in Israel stood at the temple gates waiting for the Messiah, going, come in, come in, yes. They weren't expecting a little old lady in the corner who nobody really noticed. And there's so many things about her. She's probably poor. That always means that you seem to be at the wrong end of society. She's a woman, which in that society would have put her at a grave disadvantage. And yet, and I think this is worth emphasizing so hard, not in the things of God, not in the kingdom of God. In fact, I said there are four great prophets who bubble up at the start of the Gospels, at the start of Jesus' life. Two of them are women. And Luke's Gospel emphasizes the role of women within the ministry of Jesus and at the resurrection as well. And, and we, we could carry on. There's lots of ways in which uh, she's there, 
not where we expect her to be. And, and James has already begun to sort of tease this out for us. This is one of the great themes of Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel is the gospel where we've already heard um, that God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. This is the gospel that says, blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich. That says, blessed to the hungry and the weeping and the unpopular. This is the gospel that says, God does not see as the world sees. Anna is great. And where's the high priest? Missed it completely. Where are the rulers of Israel? Missed it completely. Apart from Herod, who's trying to stop it, but we won't go there. And... What are we like on that as a church, as individuals? Who do you admire? Are you looking at the rich, the powerful, the famous, the people with a large Instagram following or whatever it might be? Within the church, I think we do it just as much as outside of the church. Um, I was a curate uh, for a while at HTB, and, and Nikki used to sometimes speak, Nikki Gumbel used to speak dismissively of minor Christian celebrities, by which he meant him, himself. And he was very, very humble, but also highlighting the fact that within the church, we do the same things that, that they do in the world. We're impressed by the same things. Are you well-known? Do you have a big Instagram following? Uh, maybe let's make it harder. Who do you want to be? For me, this really hits home. Um, I, I don't want to admit it, but I probably should admit, I want you to think I'm great. I want you to be impressed. I want you to think that my ministry is successful. I want you to, to look at him and go, Ugh. <laughs> Whereas I should want God to be happy with what I'm doing. And, and he's, he's challenged me in this time and time again. It's been something actually of the story of, of the last 10 years of my life. So 10 years ago, I was a curate at HTB. It's the biggest church in uh, the UK. Uh, it's fizzing. Uh, God's doing a lot of things through it. And, and I was uh, working there. I was working closely with Nicky Gumbel on his Bible in One Year project, which uh, was something he's very excited about and I was very excited about. And I was just about to, to plant a church. 10 years ago this year, I planted uh, a new church into the middle of London, Holy Sepulchre London. And I had such excitement. I still have excitement actually looking back, but such dreams and visions of what God was going to do through my church. And um, we, we were all about seeking the presence of God. Our vision was, I think, very similar actually to this church. Um, and we'd had a beautiful and wonderful prophecy that God was going to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And I was like, yeah, revival! Gonna have, God's going to send revival. The church is going to... London is going to be transformed. Britain will be transformed through London and the world will be transformed through Britain. Yes! Um, I mean, you laugh, but you can, you can see it. And, and what, a, what a good, in many ways, godly vision that is. Yes, I want to see the, the, the nation changed. Yes, I want to see people coming to Christ. The only trouble is that sort of mixed in with the good stuff was also the pride of my heart. I wanted to be the person who went to, to clergy conferences and people went, ah, ah. <laughs> but, but what actually happened was much harder. And um, I, I used to joke towards the end of my time there that, that we were the HTB plant nobody had ever heard of, which is probably true. And God did do wonderful things, and I'll come to that in a moment, but we stayed small. And revival never happened in the way that I expected it. 
And when I was sort of coming to the end of my time there, and Liz and I had felt a little bit unexpectedly, actually, that God was saying, right, now is the time to move on, and we become convinced of that, I went back to God and was like, but what about revival? Why didn't you pour out your Holy Spirit? And I, I just felt a gentle pushback of the Holy Spirit. But I did. But, but what about revival? Why are we still small? And I just felt like God said, oh, I didn't promise you that. I promised that I'd pour out my spirit, not that you'd be big. And that was really challenging to me. But I went back through, through the years that we'd been there. And I remembered some of those sweet times and just the presence of God was, was falling in worship like it was this morning. I remembered we used to have termly all-night prayer sessions and, and so often encountering God in those moments. I remembered some of the baptisms when we saw people like Dana who'd come to faith, some from completely different religions. I remembered the things that God had done. And I realized that he'd done what he wanted, not what I wanted. And I realized that there was too much in me that wanted to be impressive in the ways of the world. And actually, I'd done what God wanted me to do he just hadn't done what I wanted him to do. And that was a challenging lesson. I think it's a lesson I'm still learning. And I suspect it's a lesson that most of you need to learn as well. Because what, who do you want to be? And what is it for you? For, for, for some of you, it'll be like me. You want to be a success in whatever field you're in. And maybe you want to be a success for the Lord. God's called you into it. Hallelujah, brilliant, go after it. But... Guard your heart and check it. Do you want the Lord more than that? Maybe it's that you want to be popular. Maybe that, it, that you want to be rich. Maybe I don't know, I don't know. But you do. But who the Lord is looking for is Annas. Annas who the world may miss. I sometimes think we're going to get to heaven. I'm going to be like, oh, there's that rich and famous and important person. Oh, there's that Christian celebrity. Oh, that's that person. And then Jesus will be like... Have you met Glenda Smith? And I'll be like, who on earth is Glenda Smith? And he's like, she's amazing. She prayed all the time. She worshipped all the time. She was an Anna in your generation. None of the rest of you spotted her, but she is the one I was pleased with. And I want to be Glenda Smith or Anna. Final thing, what? What is great in the eyes of the Lord? And we've, we've already sort of begun to touch on it. What we long for is, well, health, wealth, and happiness. Those are the idols of the age, aren't we? We want health, wealth, and happiness, or at least the world out there does. And the reality is, friends, we do too. So often, our vision as a Christian is actually the, the nice, comfortable, middle-class life that everybody else is leading with a little cherry on top, which is the fizz of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'll come on a Sunday and, and get a bit of Holy Spirit woo time, and then I'll just carry on living my life with exactly the same goals as everyone else. But that's not good enough. And that's not what Anna does. And, and Anna, she has this tough, tough life. It's so hard. It, it's got none of the things that when she was a little girl she probably dreamt about. But it is greatness. It is glory. It is joy. And she knew that. She gives thanks to God and speaks about the child to everyone who's there. She knows that
that it, this is, that she's, she's been blessed. She knows that this is glorious and wonderful, and this was worth all the, the tears and the pain and the heartache. She's full of joy. She's not like, oh, finally, God. She's like, yeah, finally, God. You're coming. It's brilliant. And, and we need to be like that too. And I think that the reason why James asked me to preach on this passage is because in the very heart of that for Anna is the presence of God. This woman is defined by the presence of God. Everything about her story is about the presence of God. And we as a church want to be defined by the presence of God too. We want to be a church more than anything else where God is present. And in Anna's life, that sort of happens in sort of two ways. There's the sort of from God bit, and there's the from Anna bit. The from God bit is the extraordinary privilege of being a prophet and seeing the Lord come suddenly to his temple. She encounters God. In a generation when nobody else was encountering God after centuries. And friends, we can encounter God. We do encounter God if we are Christians. We have been lavished the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we can know what she knew once as a glimpse of glory at the end of her life. Every day and every moment of every day, the presence of God. But I think we often make that quite passive. We sit back and go, mm, okay, I'm off. And actually, she lent into God. She lent into seeking the presence of her God through decades of Nothing happening. She didn't give up. She just persevered, longing for more of God in her life. And we are told, I mean, what a way to have somebody's life characterized. She never left the temple. I mean, she probably did go to sleep. But anyway, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day. All her waking hours worshipping, fasting and praying. I think that the fasting one has been fizzing in, in my mind, actually, as I've read this, because I think it's a flag that she got this. Because when we fast, we give up the things that life seems to revolve around, obviously, particularly food. When we fast, we surrender the priorities of the world. We surrender our, our physical comfort, our physical health, and we say... I'm going to leave that to one side in order to go after God. I think that's why it has such spiritual power. Not because we sort of rack up some sort of brownie points, but because as we fast, we're taken deeper into our faith and reliance on God. And I think it, it tells you in her that she wasn't seeking the comfort that she didn't have. She wasn't bitter about the things that hadn't happened. She was even willing to renounce the small amount of comfort that she did have to fast and go after God. And then she prays. She, she lays it all out before God. I think of Paul uh, talking about sort of praying continually in everything with, with thanksgiving, presenting your requests to God. I reckon he, he, and, he and Anna would have gone on really well. 
leaning on to God in prayer. And then she worships. She's always worshipping. And there's something about worship and prayer that they go together. But there's something about not just praying in a way which is, oh, I'm grumpy. Why haven't I had all that I've wanted over the last 65 years? Why aren't I married? Why hasn't my ministry been more of a success than I thought it was going to be? You know, we can be quite grumpy in our prayers. But, but when we sort of put prayer and worship together, and in our worship, we're just glorifying God. We're just saying, you're amazing. I love you. I glorify you. I want more of you. Then, then suddenly our gaze is lifted up from, from the sort of mundane whatever it is. And there's something very powerful in rooting all our prayer in worship. But then also out of worship, we don't just stay there. We're saying, God, I want to see your kingdom come. Revival. Revival starts with me. That's one of our, our, our sort of values as, as a church. We want to see that happening. And that's going to happen not when we get really good. I mean, the worship, awesome this morning. James, phenomenal preacher. There's lots that's great, but none of those things are going to do it. It's going to come from God. And so we, we come out of that place of worship and then pray and say, God, please do it. And then the, the temple, well, that was the physical heartbeat of the presence of God amongst his people under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, we're told in 1 Corinthians that we, the gathered people of God, are the temple. We are the place where his spirit dwells. And then also we as individuals when we seek God. And I think we, we, we underestimate, though, that sense of going to the temple of the gathering of God's people. But in all these things, they're just, she's just going after God. She's going after God's presence. She's not just sitting back saying, why hasn't it happened? When's God going to do it? She's, she's leaning in. And friends, I want to encourage you to lean in. Uh, we are at the moment, in a month of prayer as a church. Now, you might be like me. We, we've had illness in our family rumbling along the first couple of weeks of, of the, the year. I maybe haven't got off to the start I wanted, but it's not too late. Lean into it now. Spend time praying as an individual. And then when we get to, to Lent, and Ash Wednesday, 22nd of February, I know the date because we're launching a new film series then, 22nd of February, we're going to do 40 days of corporate prayer and worship as a church. And the reason why James wanted me to preach on this passage and why he's preaching on it at Buncton is because he wants us to lean into being like Anna. Be people who are always in the temple. Be people who are worshipping, praying, and fasting. But I want to lay on top of that, I think, the even bigger message of Anna. Be people who have God's perspective on life. And this is the challenge. This is what is hard. This is where those questions I asked earlier need to be challenged. Because are your expectations of God? Are what you think the Holy Spirit being poured out looks like? Really Anna? Or just what the world wants with a, a bit of a cherry on top? And I want to say, let go of everything else. It's hard to do. It's a lifetime. She probably didn't get there at the start. It took 65 years. Maybe it'll take 65 years for me, for you. But lay it all down and know that you may not get exactly what you want when you want it. But in God, we get more. In his presence is fullness of joy. And there is nothing, nothing greater in this life or the next than knowing God. 
And well, one of the ladies in our KFC, when we were praying this Wednesday, made a, a beautiful comment. She said, life is short and eternity is long. It may seem like a long time. It may seem like we sometimes have disappointments. But in God, we are on the highway to heaven. And it will be wonderful. And in the here and now, it can be wonderful. Just not always in the ways that we think it will be. Amen. Can I ask you to stand? And we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to continue to move in us. You might want to close your eyes, hold out your hands, however you find it easiest to just focus on God. And Lord, we just want to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Ask him, what does it look like for me to be an animal? I just had a, a song fizzing around in my mind all, all week. And I, I just want to sing the first verse. And, and then I might sing it again and you can join in if you want at that point. But, but it's a song which speaks actually about how we, how we get there. <clears throat> Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just fix your eyes upon Jesus. We're just going to wait in the silence and pray, Holy Spirit, fall on us. May your presence, may your kingdom come in our midst as we look upon you. Come, Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing is God's not cross with you. I'm sorry if what I've said may, may have come across wrong. And the point of what I think God wants to say today is not, come on, you wretch, but come on, I love you. I think he would say to some of you, you're doing so well. I think there are some of you you need to hear, God has seen the tears. God knows the pain. Maybe no one else has, but he knows and he loves you for it. He loves the ways in which you are trying to lean into him. He loves the ways in which you are letting the world around you just die to you and focus on him. And he says, thank you. But there's more. Come, Holy Spirit. Just ask him, what does this look like for me? 
wonder as well whether other people may have words from God. And if you do, do, do share them. I think God is here, and there's something when God is here about turning that back into worship. So I'm going to sort of hand back over to the, to the guys on worship, but just, just stay in this place. Join, join in the songs or, or don't as, as you see fit, but just gaze on Jesus. Just have the, the, the two-word phrase, it's okay. I think that's for a particular individual. I think there's somebody here maybe who feels like they've got to the end of, of themselves. And they don't know where to look, where to turn. I don't have an answer for that, but I do feel the Lord is saying to you, it's okay. And that he's here. When you uh, spoke and uh, said, what do you want from God? God gave me the word this morning, which is just the word mercy. Mm. What, what do you want when you first come to God? Mm. Conscious of your state, your need for him, your need for mercy. And that's certainly what I wanted. And just to say, I think God's saying that it's, that's available to all of you today. Mm. Whatever your state, God brings mercy, gives you mercy, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. And receive that, hear that. Often people talk about mercy and we think, yeah, that's for the guy next door to me. That's for you. So yes, Lord, we, we prophesy over that, that heart that the person thinks is dead and we say, we prophesy life. Come back to life, be well, be healed, be forgiven in God. it may seem a sacrifice but what we give up is actually nothing compared to what we receive in God Paul said I consider everything else lost like rubbish the old version said dung dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and you
joy of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in the knowledge and the love and the presence of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with us all and all we love today and forevermore.